I'm Charlie Redding. And I'm Claire Fudge. Welcome to the Business of Endurance. What I didn't realize was that the image went out, Associated Press, so any organization could use it. And my life went absolutely bananas. I wasn't a runner growing up. I was the anti-runner. I was second last in my school. I never did any exercise. In this episode of the podcast, we're joined by Sophie Power, a remarkable British ultra runner and a mother of three. Sophie's extraordinary journey in the world of ultra running has been a source of inspiration for many. Her fame skyrocketed when a photo of her breastfeeding her three-month-old during the gruelling 106-mile Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, or UTMB as it's known. That photo went viral in 2018. This powerful image not only showcased her incredible determination, but also highlighted the unique challenges faced by female athletes, especially mothers, in balancing the demands of endurance sports with family life. Sophie's experience has ignited important conversations about the inclusion and support of women in endurance sports, advocating for greater equality and facilities for mothers. Beyond her athletic prowess, she is a beacon of empowerment, encouraging women to maintain an active lifestyle for both physical and mental health. Despite the demands of motherhood and work, Sophie's recently returned to running postpartum and has released a film documenting her journey. In this episode, we delve into Sophie's experiences with racing whilst breastfeeding, her ongoing campaign for fairness in sport and how she navigates the mental challenges of 24-hour races. Join us as we explore the resilient world of Sophie Power, a woman who runs not just races but also a campaign for change in the world of sports. In this episode, Sophie talks quite a bit about fitting in her family life around her training or her training around her family life. And if you stick around until the end, I am going to give you something that will help you to give you some ideas to fuel your training a little bit more efficiently and very easily. So Sophie, welcome to the Business of Insurance podcast. Really looking forward to chatting to you. And I, I think we've got some really interesting things to talk about today, but a lot of them around the concept of racing or dealing with life around pregnancy and children. So I think this is going to be, as a parent myself, I know that there's going to be loads to take away from here. So let's start this conversation off with that photo. There is an incredible photo of you breastfeeding at the UTMB race. And it had you rise to prominence in a way that I don't, I don't think you had expected to. So give us the pre-story to what happened in the lead up to why that photo was taken and tell us how it came about and why you were breastfeeding in the UTMB. Well, firstly, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's, it's great to talk to you guys about the story. So the photo, if anyone hasn't seen it, is at the halfway point of UTMB. It's in Kokomaya and I'm breastfeeding my three-month-old baby and pumping the other side. And there's a guy with his feet up next to him because he's having a nap because we've been running through the night and really I quite like to be having a nap, but I had feeding business to do. So the reason I'm there and I would never condone running a 106 mile mountain race with a three-month-old baby is because I've lost my place 
to run at that race. It's an iconic race. Most people would have heard of it. Four years before, I was pregnant with my first son and they said I couldn't defer my entry because if I was injured, I could have deferred it. But pregnancy is a choice, apparently, especially the timing, which if you've ever tried to have children, you'll know that definitely not a choice on the timing. And they refused. And it took me four more years to get a place at this dream goal race of mine. I'd been running, ultra running a few years before then. And this is what I was working up to. So I, I got an automatic place because I'd missed out two years in a row and the rules then were you can have a place the year after. And I thought I'd have a, a baby, a much older baby on the start line, but it didn't work that way. And they refused again. They hadn't put a policy in place. So I had the choice of losing my opportunity again, or my initial goal was to just experience that start line and the incredible atmosphere around it and maybe get 10K and just have a family holiday in Chamonix and and use it as a, a focus to stay fit during my pregnancy, to stay active, and then to have a really strong and focus on my recovery. So what happened was I, I got to Chamonix at the start of the week thinking I'd run 10K and then finish the race. And my three-year-old, he saw the other races finishing earlier in the week. And he saw these children running down the finish line with their parents. And he said, mom, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. I'm going to run this. You're going to finish the race. I'm gonna... And I was like, oh my God, I've got to get around 106 miles. And that was it. It was, he wanted to, he wanted me to run with him down the finish straight and I was never going to let my three-year-old down. So I ended up having to run and my three-month-old was exclusively breastfed and I had to manage pumping, squeezing out behind trees because I couldn't get, my husband couldn't get a baby or a pump to me for the first kind of 16 hours. And that's what happened. So my goal was to finish eventually, but Really, if I wanted to finish that race, I had to breastfeed, I had to fuel properly, I had to think of all these things that I would never have to think of if I did the race again. It is quite amazing. And this prompts so many questions, which I think where we, we need to head. But it is quite amazing, just before we go on to the politics of it and everything else, how did you train so that you could finish a 106-mile mountain race three months after giving birth. I think that's the first thing that stands out to me. It's like, how on earth do you even think about doing that? Especially with ultra running. You know, a lot of people think it's marathon running plus. It's a longer distance. You've got to be fitter. You've got to be faster. And if anything, it's absolutely the opposite. So we'll put 106 miles aside. If you look at a 30 mile race, a marathon might have a, a six hour 30 cutoff. A 30 mile race, we've got ones in the UK that and we'll, we'll talk about she races later, but have no cutoff. So you could take 14, 15 hours. And as long as you're moving, you're going to finish that race. Now, if we look at the UTMB, the cutoff is 46 and a half hours. You can walk UTMB. And people don't like to mention that, but I do because I think it's a huge barrier, especially for women in trying to enter these events. And there's less than 10% of women usually on the UTMB start line. Is if you're a good hiker, you could finish almost any ultra marathon in the world. And I knew I was a good hiker. I also knew that my pelvis wasn't fully back together. So whereas I would have been running a lot before in a race, I'd run a lot of UTMB now. I couldn't risk it. I couldn't run the downhills because it was too much of a risk because there was too much relaxing in my system and I hadn't healed. So I knew that if I kept hiking well, stopping for the feeding, minimizing time, half the field finish after 40 hours. So that's kind of two and a half miles an hour. 
half the field are going slower than that. And I got through in 43 and a half. So it was all about taking as much time as I could at the checkpoints, eating as much as I could, trying to fuel myself, fuel my baby, hydrate, be really careful. But these races are very doable. If you're absolutely stubborn and you can keep yourself moving forward and manage yourself, these races are accessible to most people. And is that why females are often better at ultra running than men in many senses? Because are are females better at dealing with that pacing? If that's a slow pace, are they better at dealing with that pacing than the guys? I think we have less of an ego than men in general. And we don't go out too fast and blow ourselves up or make mistakes early on that you often see men that have gone out too fast in a hot environment, they may get heat stroke. I think anecdotally, women seem to be better at controlling themselves and going, I need to take the time in the shade. I need to cool myself down. I need to not let myself be swept up with wanting to go a certain pace or keep up with certain people. So there's certainly that. And there's definitely skill sets of motherhood, of managing yourself and several other people that it's much easier to then just manage yourself in a race. So there's definitely that. There's always going to be that physiological gap of performance between men and women. You still see kind of Jim Walmsley is several hours ahead of Courtney. And now it's interesting, UTMB have adjusted the index to kind of account for that. And she does come out top and, and Camille's actually second. But we do, we are very, when we enter a race, especially the super long races, now some stats that tried to say that over, Races over 195 miles plus women are faster than men. We're not, but you just get a better quality of women relatively entering that because we've really thought about what we need to do to finish that race and we potentially prepare better and not gone, my mate at the pub has signed up for it, so I'm going to sign up too. We tend to think a little bit more fast. Do you think there's an element of like confidence in women? Because just thinking of from a background in the sports that I do and actually some of the events and things that I try to manage a little bit with our teams of women it's really difficult to get some women no matter what that age to either compete and some of the research and this is really tiny amount of research in terms of what's the barrier to women sometimes doing these events so from you working with things like she races as an example but what have you found out in terms of what is the barrier for some women to be able to either enter these races or enter any race or or, or involve themselves in sport Oh, go for a question. I mean, I'm a trustee of women's sports. So we, an insight kind of an advocacy charity, and we look at women across the spectrum just getting involved in exercise and the lack of opportunities we have to do so in general. Starting so young, even just, I need primary girls to search. Like children as young as five, girls see themselves as less able at sport than boys. And I've got a two-year-old daughter and it's everything I could do to make sure that she has a very different attitude to average and what can I do to get her there? But I think when we look at racing in general, we know that women are, I think, 51% of runners in, in, in the UK. So we are running. Mm. So what she races we did and look at, I wanted to, I guess moving on from UTMB and, and the advocacy is like, why are women not on these start lines? It's not just pregnancy deferrals. What else is there? And so I surveyed over 2,000 women from 5K to super long distance from kind of the elite through to the back of the pack, as much diversity as we could have and then had a lot more conversations. And what is stopping them being on those start lines? And the confidence issue is, is true. And kind of 60% of women have been put off by what well, I think m- most women have experienced. 96% of women have had a barrier or seen something at a race that wasn't right for them as a woman. But you then look at what are they? And 
you've got half of the women worried about cutoffs, about not just being able to finish in the first place. And that's many times the amount of men that we put off by that. Looking mm. at the logistics of the race, really understanding how that's going to work, how they're going to navigate, how they're going to even get to the start line. Looking at the imagery, which doesn't have any women in it because they put the start line on and all the men have pushed their way to the front. So they don't even see themselves as being belonging on that start line. And the language around race is being biggest, baddest, toughest. We're going to cut you off. There's so much wrapped in all of that that stops a woman even signing up to the race in the first place. And then there's so much more on the race that could be more inclusive of women. But there are so many things in us. And so what I love to do is really try and break down the kind of, especially with ultra marathons, the barriers to entering them and, and explain that you can walk these. You can walk them. And the aid stations are great and there's really good cake normally. But there are some real small, <laughs> friendly races out there. And as long as you can keep going and, and thinking about lives as women, we don't necessarily have the time to run hundreds of miles a month. But our lives are often so much more active than men's. If we, we're mothers and we're doing the school run, I hike up and down hills 20 miles a week on my school runs, pickups and drop-offs. That's training. So I don't have to run as far as a man would that's got a desk job that's driving there in the week. That's my training. Some that I carry my daughter, I'm running around the kids. They're jumping on my back to do planks and press-ups. And that's part of life. So really reframing what it means to be fit, what it means to be active, what it means to be able to finish these events. So women can look very different to men. I think you are an amazing example of allowing them to take that photo. So I know that initially you said you didn't want that photo to be taken. Most women would have said no to that photo. So talk to us a little bit about why you initially thought about saying no, and then why you allowed them to take that photo and what's happened as a result. I mean, I I was just minding my own business. And so Alexis Berg's a photographer and he's a phenomenal trail running photographer. I didn't know what he looked like. You know what the photographer's name is, but you don't know what they look like. So I didn't know it was him. And he asked my husband, did he take my hotel? My husband that said, no, isn't that a bit weird? And I'm tucked away at the side of the sports hall. Like no one else noticed, but he was looking for something and it must've looked quite strange to him. And I just thought, if the race organizer sees this, if they see this, no other mother will have to go through what I've had to go through. They'll be able to get their deferral. They'll see what's happened and they'll be able to race when they're fit and healthy. And I just thought, if they see it, that policy will get in place the next day and this will change. And it took five years for UTMB to, to listen. But other races did it very quickly. And what I didn't realize was that the image went out, Associated Press, so any organization could use it. And... My life went absolutely bananas for weeks after, and I guess still even now. And we were on live TV and the BBC with Cormac and I, my, my three-month-old, explaining what happened. And I think partly it was the images is iconic now, and it's such a beautiful photo. And so many women see different things in that. So many women see this powerful image of a woman going after her athletic dreams, and others see the, the barriers that are so evident in us participating in sport, participating in in, in life and what we want to do. And the story behind it, that I shouldn't have been there in the first place. I wasn't trying to, to show off and say, look at me running. It was my goal race and I was having a go and I'm not an elite athlete. So I think it, it, I think so many things combined to make it go viral and then giving me the platform to then talk about these issues and 
talk about how do we break down the barriers for women, for mothers. Let's talk about these issues because we didn't see elite women on the start line that had babies. And this is now five years ago. And I think the world's changing very quickly since. As a brief interlude, one of the things that Sophie's talking about is really about the innovation of all of her training around when she was breastfeeding. And we can do this in business and we actually help our clients do this through a tool and an exercise called the game of gains. So about how you can create marginal gains in your business. And if you want me to talk you through that exercise and actually you can do that exercise yourself and come up with your own gains for your business, then if you head to www.thetrusted.team, you can join our free online live workshop called Three Steps to Entrepreneurial Happiness. And I'll talk you through that exact exercise. So UTMB have just changed, is that right? But other races have changed, having seen the photos. I know that you've done some Ironman races in the past. Have Ironman done anything about this? Because I know that obviously UTMB is owned by Ironman. So Ironman, so think back to when I started the advocacy, I think the first battle I had was against London Marathon. And that was where they wouldn't defer a good for age entry for a lady. And there was the, the year, there were two London marathons in the same year because of COVID. And they said that she can have a place when she is eight weeks postpartum, but not when she was eight months postpartum. And because the closer you are to your qualifying time, the more likely you are to repeat it, which really holds unless you've had a baby in between and you need to recover. So that battle was quite fierce. And eventually, London Marathon conceded and allowed a pregnancy deferral policy and then actually went to do a lot of other inclusive policies for women, which is fantastic to see now. And one of my friends went to Ironman and knew someone on the board there and then worked with Ironman to put a policy in place. So Ironman had the policy before UTMB and we wonder whether that was one of the the factors in finally listening. But the Ironman policy is not good enough yet because it only gives you a year's deferral. And UTMB is giving five, which is phenomenal, but you need a two-year deferral at least because you've got to, if you just got pregnant and the race is then, you could have a three-month-old on the start line and it's not normal to be able to race three months postpartum, especially as I was on trail. The Ironman, the, the run route is on concrete. That's a huge amount of impact on your body mm. to do that. So. There is a policy in place for Ironman. It's not good enough. It's on my list to have another conversation with them about because it'd be great for them to fall in line with UTMB. And it's also important to note the line Ironman policy includes partners because it's overwhelmingly male. And the last thing a woman wants when you're about to give birth is is, your, is if, if, if there's a dad going off to do an Ironman race because otherwise he'll lose all his money and his opportunity to race. So... That's important too. Same thing with adoptive parents, same with surrogacy. Triathlons are way behind. I think the triathlons, there's a huge amount of barriers and it's one of the next steps for she races is to really try and look into the barriers in multi-sport events and cycling and see what advice can we give to race directors to break those barriers down because it's far more complex than just a running race. So for a just a, a standard Ironman race, I can see that you know, there's expense involved, but ultimately you can shift to a new race 
you can, and sometimes there's expense with that. Sometimes you've got the, the Flex 90 policy and things like that. But it's the World Championships that's the really difficult one. And that's the equivalent of the UTMB, isn't it? It's the qualifying to get that place and then not being able to defer that. That's the big one, isn't it, really? And we've worked with UTMB on the index and elites being able to do that. And it's one of the, the parts that's still missing is women coming back, freezing your index, being able to re-enter the sport at the level that you left it. Because otherwise you're spending time getting back up to that and the requalifications and you're not having the access to those races. And we need to make a decision that we want mothers to come back to the sport. And certainly if you're having multiple children, you, you want to get back quickly into the racing because you need to think about your sponsors and your sponsors want you on the biggest start lines. And as a woman, I am so inspired by kind of athletes. If you look at like Chelsea Sadara is, the image of her holding her baby, winning the world championships, it means so much to so many women to see her do that and to see her talk about it and how she did it and to come back. And it's not just about the elites. It's about everyday mum that wants to do her race, whether that's 10K, whether that's a sprint triathlon, seeing someone else do it at such an elite level gives you so much confidence that you can get back Then We don't have the teams around us that maybe she did. We've got to make a decision as a sport that we need to support mothers to get back to the elite level. I remember hearing you say on another podcast that actually most of the race organizers are blokes and they just haven't thought about this stuff. So if you ask the question, you prompt the thought, don't you? And actually, as long as they're seeing that they're, you're not gaining an advantage by doing something, I suspect they're often, or clearly they're not always often to change with things like the rules, but they're often probably willing to change if they're asked and made to think about it. And that's the thing, I think for women, when we talk about she races and, and essentially she races as a set of guidelines for races to be more inclusive for women. And it's got everything from getting more women on the start line that the, the barriers I mentioned before to making the race better for us and then valuing our competition equally to the men's with the equal coverage and prize money and, and, and calling our female winner and male winner, but the, the middle part of what they can do on the race. Often race directors are saying, well, if someone has an issue, why didn't they ask? And races need to be very clear on their website to say, if you have any other needs, please get in contact. And that opens the door for women to say they might say yes. And it's a very different way of framing it. For example, a lot of race directors said, of course I would have allowed a pregnancy deferral. Why did she ask? And and I say, well, if you read your policies, it says no refunds or deferrals under any circumstances. Mm. So you need to actively write that, that if you're pregnant, please contact us and we'll work out with you the best thing to do. It's a very different way of saying things, but it really makes it for women where then we're being given permission to ask and have that conversation. And the race directors always come back and say, we learned from something and we love seeing this on our races. And we're now actually getting more women on our start line because they're seeing these images of women running with their babies and their children. And it seems like a better race for women. So the best for their race as a business is also the right thing to do. How did you feel differently with that race in mind based on the fact that you were breastfeeding at the time? I just ate a lot more. I think I've learned a lot about fueling in the last few years. I think I love ultras because it's a great excuse to eat lots of cake and chocolate bars and all of that stuff. But I guess now I don't race on that. I race far more on, depending on the pace, if it's a mountain race, then I eat 
more the solid foods, but for the 24, there'll be a lot of gels and jam sandwiches and bars and all of that stuff. So it's a bit less interesting, but it was just eating. You're going very slowly. So your body can burn most of the energy you need from fat. And it's just to kind of top up to continue that energy coming through. So for my own sanity, eating food that's yummy rather than packaged sports stuff that doesn't taste very nice. That was the priority. But I was moving so slowly, you're burning a greater proportion of your calories from fat than carbohydrate. And you don't need to take in as much as I would be if I was racing it, for example. I was thinking of like women that are wanting to, maybe did sport before, now got a family, they're working, maybe their partner's working as well. Is there any advice for them in terms of trying to fit sport or activity in? Because I know, and I hear a lot of women say, I don't have time or they feel guilty about actually, even if it's going out for a 30 minute run or going to a, you know, a local Pilates club. So have you got any tips for them in terms of trying to juggle all of these things, how they might even start to fit that into their day? I I think the first thing is to get buy-in from the rest of your family. We know that a mother's level of activity is linked to her children's. So we want to inspire our children. We need to be active too, not so much for the dads. They're off doing their Ironman training anyway. They didn't stop when they had children. They just kept going, but we stopped. So I think creating buy-in going, this is important to me. This is why It's for my physical health, it's for my mental health, and it's also for the children. And I think often women sign up to events. We've had that because they then have that kind of justification to get out of the house. Because it's so easy, especially when it's a run and it's not a time in the day. Mm -hmm. You could do it any time. So you skip it and you don't put it in later. Whereas like when my husband's meeting his friends to go on a cycle ride, it's that time and he has to do it. So creating those times having them meet friends for them, having it be in a certain class, having a coach, I think really helps in this. You know, you've got the plan and you've got someone else to report back to that you don't want to let down. I don't want to let my coach down. I don't want to let her say, I just didn't juggle well enough to get that session in today. And then really, I think believing that you deserve it is the other thing. We deserve to have a life outside our children. Yes, being a mother is the most important thing in my life, but I'm a better mother when I have my own goals. And the kids kick me out the door to run because they know I'm going to be so much nicer when I get back in the door. I have thought through all the problems. I've had that time to myself. And first, I really need alone time every day. And I get that while running. And mm. it's one of the reasons I run. And if I didn't run, I would cycle. I would hike. I would do something mm. to be in nature. So I think it's just sitting down and going, this is really important for me. Getting their buy-in screen. You guys are brought into my goal as well. Here's my race or here's my target to run 5K or to complete park run in 40 minutes or something and having them support that and being when you're, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to get out the door, then go, actually, I can take this off you or we can juggle this. And like, let's make sure that you are our priority for once because all the time as a mum, generally everyone else is your priority and not yourself. I love that idea also of having like, we talk about goals a lot and Charlie's a huge fan of goal setting. He's probably the king of goal setting. my next question. I was about to go there. Carry on. But no, I love the idea of like for especially women coming back into sport and almost for them to allow themselves to be able to have that time. I just think a goal is really a really good idea. Even having something like Park Run 5K to be able to go and do, I think is a brilliant idea. I couldn't agree more. An analogy I use sometimes is putting the face mask on yourself first. Like on the airplane, they say, go put the face mask on yourself first before you help your children. Because otherwise 
you know, use. And it's the same with that. You've got to do what kind of keeps you fit, healthy, stress-free or less stressed first to be the best parent that you can be. You've mentioned goals a few times. Can't let that slip without asking. It sounds like you guys have a family process to goal setting. What does goal setting look like in the power household? God, the kids got loads of goals. My my eight-year-old had the goal to win the star player of the week at football camp. And he was like going, he was very keyed down strategically as to all the different attributes that he had to show in the sportsmanship and this and that and the other. And like the being the best goalkeeper was brilliant. I was so proud of him breaking it down every day going, I think I've moved a step forward to star player. And he won at the end. He was so proud of himself. And I was like, wow, <laughs> this is really cool. I think the goals, I think for me, the athlete side has come up. Okay, before Hubby and I, so before we had kids, oh yeah, I did an Ironman because I signed up when I was drunk and I couldn't swim more than 25 meters. And my Hubby was like, you've never been on your bike before. So we used to do Ironman together and, and I'd started ultras at the same time. And it used to be quite balanced. We used to do kind of the, the stage races away as our holiday. And then it's only, I think, after I had kind of Cormac and UTMB that me as an athlete kind of took hold and I started getting some really good performances. And actually, since I had Sersha, so she's almost three now and now about to compete for Great Britain for the second time. So the athletic goal, for me, there's looking at what excites me, but I think also what gives me a platform to be able to talk about women and help other women in sport. And I know that putting a GB vest on and coming on podcasts like this, and I can then help others, setting my goals around being able to better help others. My sporting goals about giving the platform, that's really important to me. Would I be voluntarily always running 24 hours if I didn't think that was going to help other people? Probably not. It's a really tough race. But for me, it's more important that I do that. And I think Hubby's goal sporting, it's having fun, it's keeping fit. We're looking at challenges for him for next year. And he definitely loves a challenge. But he's not going to probably be at the same level of cycling as I have now and running. And so they're quite separate. But we're looking at, I think the Fred Witten, I think will be really fun for him. I like the up only races because I don't want him falling off his bike in the descent. And then we have something like this again. <laughs> don't want that. I think he's going to be worth racing because he can't fall off a turbo, can he? But it's interesting because we're looking at next year and what do I do next year and what can I do that excites me and is also something that can really support She Races and getting our message out. I think that's brilliant. Now, one of the traditions we have on this podcast is to get the previous guest to ask the next guest a question without knowing who that will be. So the previous guest was Joe DeSena, the founder of Spartan Races. And I think, Claire, I think you have Joe's question, don't you? Yep. So Joe asks, what decision do you wish you'd taken as a young person? Wear more sunscreen. <laughs> Isn't there a soul? I, I, yes, <laughs> yeah, there is. And I wish, I, I wish I'd listened to it when it came out. And um, I guess that's an obvious one. My, my dad told me recently, I'm at high risk of skin cancer that runs in our family. And I'm like, why did you tell me when I'm 41? You could have told me this 10 years ago. And obviously as trail runners, and athletes were, were outside all the time. So mm. I wish I'd done more of that. But I think for me, it probably most valuing my body for what it can do, not what it looks like. Taking that conscious decision that my body is so important to everything I do. And I, I grew up overweight and I didn't do any activity. So I guess I, I admit it, I wasn't a runner growing up. I was the anti-runner. 
I was second last in my school. I never did any exercise. And so I got to university and did a bit of rugby and bowing, but I accidentally fell into running. And I wish that I'd taken a decision as a young woman to say, my body's important and I'm going to be strong and I'm going to have confidence in what it can do. And I'm not going to care what anyone thinks I look like and not listen to what others say, but I'm going to use this because you know, when I'm 70, 80, I still want to be fit and I want to be carrying out my life to the best kind of all the experience I want to have. I still want to be able to physically fit to have them. So I think if I'd taken that decision, I'd have lost probably 20 years of dieting that I didn't need to have. And now with my daughter, it's really important to be a good role model to her and to show her that this is how we should think. But if only I'd had that role model in my life or been able to take the decision that what I can do matters and my body is so important and I want to be strong and I want to be fit and I want to do exercise. That would have changed a lot of things in life, made it probably a lot easier before now, but then I guess we grow through adversity, so you never know. Brilliant advice. And as the dad of two teenage girls, I'm going to be making sure they listen to this episode in particular because I think it's, I think it's really brilliant advice. Thank you. One other thing that we ask everyone to do is for book recommendations, books that they found helpful. You mentioned one a minute ago. I was going to ask you to give me the title again around The Sustainable Runner because I only caught part of it. What was that book that you mentioned? So it's called Becoming a Sustainable Runner by Tina Muir and Zary Roman. It's part environmental, but part really about the self. And it's just a really, there's lots of exercises in there as well to really think about how you place yourself within your sport and in your life. So it's one I really love. And it's just out. So I was lucky to read it before it came out and lucky to read it before I ran my PB because I think it helped me towards it. Awesome. And are there any other books that you found really helpful on your journey as a runner or as a mum? Oh, God, well, so my own physio wrote a book called Why Did No One Tell Me? She's called Emma Brockwell. And it's every single woman that becomes pregnant. I, I shove this in their hand because it's everything that I wish I'd known about pelvic health and prolapses that they never tell you. They never tell you. And we should all learn it at school. So there's a growing kind of amount of work about kind of female physiology that we should all read. There's a, a kind of female athlete Bible as well. Stacey Sims has got great books out. Raw, I think for every woman, really learning as much as you possibly can about your body can really empower you through your training and confidence, especially as I guess the next stage. I'm definitely not having any more kids, but the next stage for me would be the menopause and trying to read as much as I can about that before it kind of perimenopause and then menopause hits. So I'm really prepared and knowing that I need to do a lot more I love strength training, but even more and eat even more protein just to make sure that I'm still running these events when I'm 70, 80 years old. Awesome. Absolutely brilliant. I think this has been so, this has been so much really valuable advice in this episode. So, so Sophie, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to be looking out for you at the World Championships with eager interest. I have no concept, I have no plan to do a 24-hour race. That, that just seems like a, a new level of torture. But I think it's incredible that you do them and I'll be, I wish you every success with that, with she races and with changing the world of endurance sport to, to better support the female athletes, particularly around pregnancy. Thanks so much for having me. So I promised you at the beginning of this podcast 
podcast that I would give you something as a really quick and easy guide to be able to fuel yourself both before and after training without lots of hassle. So at Force Discipline, with our athletes and our clients, we often use really quick go-to guides. So if you look in the show notes, you can click on the Force Discipline link and you'll find a link to the download, which will give you access to pre and post training snacks. They're really quick go-to guides that most of our athletes are using on a day-to-day basis, taking the hassle out of thinking. So what did you make of that chat with Sophie? I thought it was great. I love hearing some of the stories that she had, but not only her experience of being a mum and obviously from that famous photo of her breastfeeding, but actually what she's now doing with that, that it's given her this amazing platform to actually talk to race directors, talk about what she's passionate about. So yeah, I thought it was great to have a chat with her and hear what she's trying to do for other women. Well, and not only just trying, but succeeding actually, because the fact that a certain race has changed quite quickly but it's taken five years to get the very race that she was actually at you know that photo was taken from to change is remarkable so i think it's absolutely brilliant i also loved being a person with a family a business and trying to do the training that just the acceptance that you know firstly it's about there's a bit of compromise in everything to get it all done also the fact that you're going to have to make some sacrifices and if that's watching tv and going to the pub you know Mm. for a thing then actually that's just it's just about and actually that's all because she's good and focused on goal setting so she knows what's really important therefore Mm. it's easier to say no to the stuff that isn't important Mm. so uh, really good and but i still think it's remarkable that she managed to do that race i know she played it down a bit but to be able to do 106 miles three months after giving birth is pretty impressive isn't it i think it's inspiring i think it's inspiring to other women to be able to think actually i could do it and it's not a barrier to thinking that it's possible and not only is it possible but actually is it possible after somebody's been out of maybe their full-time job and out of training that can i go back into doing it so i think for me that was inspiring and i would imagine she's inspiring hundreds and hundreds of other women which is fantastic another excellent episode and interview on the podcast the business of endurance so for everybody in the meantime until the next episode keep on training you want us to keep getting amazing guests onto the Business of Endurance podcast. We don't ask for you to pay for us. We don't ask for patronage. All we ask for is that you subscribe to the podcast, ideally on Apple. Give us a five-star rating because it shows us you care. And if you've got time, leave us a comment. One word is fine, something like inspiring or amazing or something like that. But we really do appreciate it and it will help us to continue to deliver amazing guests on what we hope you find to be an amazing podcast. Thanks very much.